good morning, Souderton. And I want to give a shout out to my Quaker Town people. What's up, guys? Thanks for letting us join you. And those of you who are watching online, thank you for choosing to, to share this time with us. And thanks for, for letting us be with you this morning. I am the pastor of young adults here at Calvary for the past couple months now. And um, one thing I want to clarify, because I know some of us were like 18 to 35. You know, if you're 30, you're sitting there thinking, I'm not going to hang out with somebody who's 18. And I'm saying, yeah, I don't blame you. Bring someone who's 30. And if you're sitting there at 18, you're like, man, I mean, people who are 30, like, they have like real jobs. I'm like, yeah, bring someone who's 18. Like, you don't have to, like, you know, basically, we just want to hang out with you, right? It's a chance to, to get to, to know me and a chance to get together. So, you know, plan accordingly, all right? Uh, we are in a series that we're calling FaceTime, Conversations with Jesus. And in this series, we've just been taking a look at some encounters that people have had with Jesus, some conversations, and what we're seeing is how they've walked away from those encounters and those conversations, and their lives have been completely different. So this morning, we're actually going to take a look at the story that we see in Luke chapter 7 of Simon, a Pharisee, inviting Jesus into his home for dinner. Basically, I think we're just going to see it's a pretty tense dinner party, which I'm sure none of us have ever been to. Thanksgiving every year. Right? So anyway, we're going to be looking at that. But before we do that, I need to walk us down a few meaningful secants. So when I was a math teacher, my students would say, oh, Mr. Link, you always go off on tangents. Which, seventh grade math people using the word tangents, good job. <laughs> you don't even know. And I would respond to them, you know, very lovingly, no, actually, I don't go on tangents because tangents will never come back to the circle. I walk along secants because when the circle comes back around, I'll meet you there, to which there's mostly silence in the room. And they're like, this is such a strange person. Like, you know, what is happening? So anyway, there are some meaningful secants I think we need to walk down before we hear the story. I think it'll kind of give us a lens maybe to view it through. So the first is this. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. One sentence by itself. There's a lot of stuff there, but one sentence. Now, the second secret I want to walk down needs a little bit more explaining. So just a quick show of hands, and Quakertown, you can raise your hand. Like, I get it, but we, people will see you. And if you're online and you're in a room by yourself, just nod your head. If you're by yourself, who's going to know? Raise your hand if this is true. So a quick show of hands if we have podcast listeners in the audience today. Ooh, ooh, a little more than last time. My life has been changed by the creation of podcasts or the recreation because old-time radio shows are basically podcasts. Anyway, the recreation, the recreation of podcasts, especially because these past few years I was driving to Philly and back each day from Sellersville, so like an hour, hour and a half uh, each way. I've listened to a ton of podcasts, and one of my favorite podcasts is Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell, which... Put it in your queue if you haven't listened to it yet, because I think it is a brilliant form of storytelling. He says in his description that he's taking a look at things misunderstood and overlooked in history. And basically what he does is he kind of layers stories together that we might not have realized like were connected in, in just brilliant ways. 
But one of the episodes that has really stuck out to me is episode nine of season four. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about the word chutzpah. And he talks about how chutzpah, I'm trying to, somebody said, you gotta get more of that. Chutzpah, um, he talks about how it has two different meanings, or it can. The first he mentions is kind of like um, audacity, right? And the second he talks about is a little bit more like disregard, so complete disregard. And so I was like, okay, cool, and he tells a story that kind of, you know, shows both of those things. But then Gladwell says something that I wonder if he really understands fully. He's a brilliant man, so he might. But, but he said this, and I was in the car, and I was like, oh, that's good. He said that the chutzpah that's like audacity is concerned mainly with or motivated mainly by others. And that the chutzpah, which is more like disregard, is essentially motivated by selfish desires. And so I'm driving in my car, and I out loud was like, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. I know a guy that's got a lot of chutzpah. Jesus. That's who I was thinking about. So like my mind is like going, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, Gladwell doesn't even know what he just did. So like my mind's racing. Fast forward a little bit. I was talking to Carlos um, Uh, you know, basically when you hang out with me, you're going to find me working these things into the conversation. Like I want to talk about this stuff that I learned. And so somehow this idea of chutzpah came up in the conversation. And Carlos says, you know what, dude? I think you should talk to to somebody that I know. I think you're going to gain a lot from having a conversation with her. And so I ended up reaching out to Judy Jenkins, which, let me pause for a moment was an incredible, she's an incredible person. And I know this is like needle in a haystack stuff that I'm suggesting right now, but like, guys, if you meet Judy Jenkins, congratulations. Because, wow, just an incredible person. But the conversation we had was just, it, it just opened my eyes to, to so many other things. And she said, you know what, like, Jeremiah, you're right, I can see where he's going with one of the forms of chutzpah. And she said, you know, I don't know if I would say audacity so much as I would say nerve, and I was like, oh, that's good. That's like a better connotation maybe, right? So, so it's good. Like, I like that. So think of it as nerve. And then she said, but you know what? I think there's another type of chutzpah. And she said, you know, it's the kind of chutzpah that gives you a confidence, a peace, and an authority in your voice. And then she dropped this bomb and said, it's a holy chutzpah. It's good. That's good. That's totally her. Thank you, Judy. Um, Here's the deal, guys. We're going to look at a story today that is just oozing chutzpah of all types. I mean, really, it's just dripping chutzpah. Uh, It's got that chutzpah drip. Sorry, younger people, maybe you know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, anyway. It is really, but the key is this. We really want to focus in on this idea of holy chutzpah, right? We really want to spend some time thinking about that. So we're going to be taking a look this morning at Luke chapter 7, verses uh, 36 to 50. And there's a few ways you can kind of follow along with us. If you want to read in your physical Bible, good for you for bringing it, do it. If you want to read in your phone, no shame, take it out, take a look. If you want to read on the screen, that's great too. But I want to invite you to unashamedly listen, if you'd like. 
And though it might be weird for me to suggest, close your eyes. That's kind of how I would listen because I like to imagine. So as I read, uh, just follow along with me as we take a look at this story. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. Or as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So there are a few things I think we need to clarify just from like a more cultural position. And and the reality is I don't think it'll take very long. So this is the first one. I don't know about you guys, but when I go to somebody's house for dinner, recline is not really the thing I would say. Right? Like I'm not... I'm not reclining at your house. Maybe. Um, but this is what I need us to understand. What that was more referencing was that when people ate dinner in those times, um, they would kind of be almost laying down. I'm going to show you what that means because I think it's helpful for us to really get an image of this. Okay, so oh, that guy's got a lot of chutzpah for doing this. Right? All right. So you can imagine that Jesus is reclining at the Pharisee's table. Cool. Now, it's helpful for us to see this, I think, because as you see where my feet are, it's maybe not so strange for a woman to arrive at my feet. We won't demonstrate that. Okay? So it's not that strange for there to be someone right there, because what I imagine some of us might be thinking is like, you know, is he sitting with his feet under the table? Is she under the table? How does anyone see her? This is really weird. It's actually not so weird, because it would have been more like this. Right? I think it's helpful to see. Okay, I'm going to stand up now. But admittedly, my jeans are very tight, so give me a second. (sighs) Okay? 
One. Two, something that is also worth clarifying here is I don't know about you, but when dinner parties get planned that I'm not invited to, in general, I don't show up. (laughs) But this woman is showing up to this dinner party and apparently like, okay, like you're just coming. And something I need us to, to know is that culturally, these dinner parties would have happened in a more open space. And if you had a teacher at the dinner party, it's not weird for people to show up and kind of like hope to gain some wisdom from the teacher. So it's actually very, this is a very commonplace thing. Not strange in this sense that she's showing up. It's more strange because of who she is that she's showing up. So the strangeness is not, is not that. Now, those I think, you know, hopefully that's kind of clear, setting the scene a little bit. You can imagine this, right? But I think we need to also kind of unpack some of the more complex characters in the story. So the first person I want to think about is Simon. So for those of you uh, who are kind of new to this whole church Bible thing, um, you might not know this, and so I'm going to make this obvious to you or make it apparent to you. Um, The Pharisees, as a group, didn't like Jesus and what he was doing. Now, when I say that, I want to make sure we understand that there might have been some of them who didn't completely hate what he was doing or like kind of have differing opinions. But in general, the group had a stance, and that stance was no-go or risk, right? Not okay. So you might think to yourself, who invites somebody they don't like to a dinner party? Almost everyone in the room, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But, but maybe you would invite someone. So anyway, all that to say, Jesus is getting invited to this dinner party. And I think we need to think about what does Simon kind of feel about this? And so there's a few things that he could be feeling. The first is maybe he actually supports Jesus. But from what we see in the Bible, the only other time a Pharisee approaches Jesus in any form of support, he does it at night, kind of secretively, And even still is kind of like, you can tell, kind of on the fence about it. Nicodemus in um, John chapter 3. So he approaches Jesus, but kind of in private. So Simon having him publicly at his house for dinner, chances are Simon doesn't support Jesus. So then you might think, well, maybe Simon is like trying to like get Jesus, you know, like that gotcha complex. Like if I get him here, then I can expose him and just roast him. And then maybe like it will end this, right? However, in the story, what we notice is that when the woman comes up and is around Jesus, and Simon has every opportunity to be like, yo, that's not okay. Get this guy out of here. Look what he's doing. He's totally okay with this, right? He doesn't shout about it. He says it to himself. I think what we're seeing there is he doesn't, he's not out to get Jesus, because if he was, that would be a perfect opportunity. But I think more what we would say about Simon is that he is approaching this like, for you Harry Potter fans, Horace Slughorn. I know most of you aren't Harry Potter fans, so let me tell you. Horace Slughorn was his professor, and he would have this like club, like this dinner club with students in the series, and the students he invited were famous. And they weren't always famous for like good reasons. So some were good reasons, some were bad reasons. Basically, Horace Slughorn just liked being around fame. Didn't matter what the fame was. So this is, this is where I think I would land with Simon in this story. I think he just likes being around fame. 
And so Jesus is becoming famous, even if the group Simon's a part of disagrees. He'll let it happen. So kind of keeping that in mind, if that's kind of the way that Simon is approaching, there's another thing that might need clarification on Simon's part. When you're hosting a party or dinner for a rabbi, there's three customs that you should do for that rabbi to acknowledge who they are. So the first is um, you should give them water for their feet because they walked around in sandals, their feet really dirty. So you give them water for their feet. The second thing you would do is you'd kiss them on the cheek. And the third thing you would do is you would anoint their head with oil. So three things that basically are a way to honor your guests. Israel was a very honor-shame culture. So we might think, oh, well, maybe Simon just forgot. And I would say, no, 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 no. I don't know that it's a forget thing. I think this is an intentional thing because it is an honor-shame culture. You don't forget to do stuff like that in general. However, then later in this passage in verse 40, Simon, when Jesus is like, Simon, can I tell you something? Simon says, yes, teacher or rabbi. So Simon weirdly can acknowledge who Jesus is in words, but he can't acknowledge who Jesus is in customs or actions. Let that dwell for a minute. He can acknowledge him in words, but not in customs and in actions. So when we're thinking about this idea of chutzpah, I would say that this is a much more, if it is any sort of chutzpah, it's much more self-serving. See, he's not going to do the customs because that'll put him in jeopardy with the people that he's a part of. So he'll kind of go a little bit of the way, but really it's just self-serving. You're just inviting this drama to this place here at your house. So, that's Simon, but then we have this woman who shows up to this party, this dinner, and I can imagine that the people at the dinner are like, wait a minute, yo, this like, she's unclean, we know she's unclean, she's coming closer, what's gonna happen? They're like gripping the like, whatever, just anything like, ah, just trying to see what is going to go down when she then does all that she does, right? So like you, everyone's just kind of like watching, and even Simon kind of like to himself was like, does he know who's coming here, right? But then this woman rinses Jesus' feet with her tears. She is sobbing to the point where rinsing his feet with her tears is possible in public, Then, she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, culturally, hair being down was generally a sign of a certain lifestyle. It was not looked well upon. So, her hair being down already is a problem, but she's wiping off, (coughs) excuse me, his feet with her hair. Then, she would have this thing called an alabaster around her neck that had perfume in it that was very expensive, and she's anointing his feet because she's not going to go up where his head is, right? There's this humility I think we need to acknowledge here. She's anointing his feet with this perfume. And then she kisses his feet and won't stop kissing his feet. And it's 2019, and that's still super gross. <laughs> like, I just, guys, like, that is super gross. 
I got to wash my feet differently, whatever. Super gross. But then I need us to understand, right? She's kissing the feet of of Jesus that have walked through dirt in sandals. So they're covered in dirt. The only thing she rinsed them with was her tears. She then wiped them with her hair, put the perfume, and now she's kissing his feet. That's how she's showing up to this dinner party. But do you know what she's doing? She is declaring that Jesus is a teacher. She's rinsing his feet. She's kissing him. And she's anointing him with perfume. This is more like the chutzpah that we're looking for here. You're in a place that isn't yours at a party that you didn't plan and you're hosting the party in front of somebody who probably has every right to end you. You're hosting the party. That that is chutzpah. Whew. But what we need to understand is that while I can tell you that now, the people in the moment might not have known what was happening. Because remember, it might be that they're kind of sitting there like on the edge of their seat, like what's going to happen? And they can't believe that this lady would even show up, right? They're, they may be too focused on her past and not focused enough on what she's doing presently, right? So they're too focused on that. And so then Jesus, in the most Jesus way, Simon's sitting there to himself saying like, he's a prophet, does he know? Does he know? And Jesus answers a question that wasn't asked of him, classic Jesus. Like Simon's like, no, Jesus, no, that was rhetorical. That was rhetorical. Like, I, mean, I don't know. And Jesus is like, no, 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 let me answer that for you. And Jesus does something that's incredibly bold. He turns to the woman. But as he's facing the woman, he's talking to Simon. So he's not even looking in the face of the person he's talking to. And Jesus essentially is like, you know what, Simon? Do you see this woman? Because Simon, I don't think that I'm the blind one here. Jesus is looking right at this woman and saying to Simon, you don't even know who showed up here and how they've showed up and what they've done. And then what we see is he says, I came into your house. This is Jesus saying, I came into your house. You didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Simon, in case you missed that, you didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Just in case you missed that. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. You know, just in case you missed that. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. See, Jesus is, as he faces the woman and puts his back to his oppressors, declaring that this woman's sins are forgiven. That's something you don't do, even face-to-face with him, with Simon. But Jesus has this commanding, authoritative peace. He doesn't have to look at Simon. He will look at the person who has hosted and said, your sins are forgiven. I've made it public. I said it to that dude behind me. This is a holy chutzpah. 
This is a holy chutzpah. But if we leave it there, I think we miss one of the key things that Jesus does. See, Jesus says this before everyone who's watching, that our sins are forgiven. He has the chutzpah to do that. But then he says to the woman, woman, your sins are forgiven. Remember, it's always secant. Woman who has shown up in probably complete shame and honesty and vulnerability. Woman, your sins are forgiven. Because guess what? It might be that that woman, even though she has the chutzpah to show up in that way, needs to hear from the person who she's showing up to host and to celebrate that, yes, her sins are forgiven. Need I remind us, I don't know that we see anything in this passage or anywhere else to tell us anything that Jesus has done for this woman yet. So it's not like she shows up because of what he's done. She shows up because of who he is. And Jesus, with his physical eyes, looks that woman in her face and says, your sins are forgiven. See, up until then, he'd just been talking about something. But at this point, he looks at her and he talks to someone. And that is some holy chutzpah to be able to do something like that. So, Calvary, I've been here for a couple months now, doing a fair share of research, getting to know people. We've been attending, but I've been on staff for a couple months. And I hear that this church exists because of the chutzpah of some people a long time ago who were a part of a church and basically said, this church isn't meeting our needs. This church is not helping us to experience in a real and relational way this Jesus. And so Calvary, I hear, was started by some people who have a lot of chutzpah. And maybe you're not like me, but here's the deal. I am by no means saying that chutzpah is gone, hear me well. But I am saying that if you are like me, might need a reminder. And I think it's important for us to take some time and remind ourselves of what we know to be true. That Jesus is the one who can offer us that holy chutzpah, that peaceful, confident, authoritative presence that I think we're seeking. Because it might be that today, in this place, you need to hear that again. It's possible for us to have this chutzpah because the God of the universe and the ultimate chutzpah move enters the universe from on high in a physical person and not in a kingly way as everyone expected, but in a very servant and depressed way, and then lived a life that is the most holy chutzpah life as we saw today and see today, and then has the nerve and the holy chutzpah to on the cross stretch out his arms and suffocate for us. And on that cross, 
makes this bold move when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there's a lot of people who would debate about what that means, but let me tell you what I believe that means and what that was. I think that's the first line of Psalm 22. Do you know what I think Jesus is doing on that cross in the most chutzpah move we've ever seen? He's looking death in the face and he's singing a song that celebrates the reason why he can have that peace and authority and confidence while he's on the cross. Because Jesus knows that he will stop breathing, but he knows even further that it won't stop there. That in three days he will roll that stone away, grab death by the neck, look Satan in the face and say, nope, let there be light. Jesus will get up in the most holy chutzpah way we've ever seen. And Calvary, when we invite Jesus into our lives, we can experience that same peace and authority when we make that invitation. And I think when we make that invitation, we can find ourselves making decisions that we never would have made if we didn't make that invitation. Calvary, I think <coughs> that when we invite that chutzpah into our lives, when we invite Jesus into our lives, we can find the chutzpah to put down the phone when we're talking to our spouse. Please. I'm, guys, I'm, just, I'm talking in the mirror, just so y'all know. It's all me. Like, you can hear me say it this way. It's me. I'm talking in the mirror. We can find the nerve to leave work on time, or dare I say it, occasionally early. We can find the chutzpah to look someone who has hurt us dead in their eyes and say, no, you will do this no longer. I've been doing that a lot lately. And it's cool but it's hard. We can find the nerve to say no to something that we don't have time for. It just admit it. You can't do that and have everything else survive. We can find the chutzpah to work on our marriage instead of running away from it because the stats show that 50% of them don't survive and I would suggest to you, you know what? They absolutely won't survive without some sort of peace, without some sort of understanding, without some sort of Jesus component driving people to work on, on their marriage when they've been hurt. You will run away. Chances are you showed up to a conversation with your wife or husband and you did run away. Jesus and this holy chutzpah can encourage us to stop running away. Can encourage these things to survive and thrive. We can find the nerve to say without a quiver in our voice that you don't need no man or woman to complete you. Because I know marriage ain't the same thing. It's not, it's not for everybody. I don't think it needs to be. You can find that nerve you can find the nerve to listen to your kids. Look, I know you hear them. They won't stop talking. Can you please listen to them? Jeremiah, once again, it's a mirror conversation. 
We can find the chutzpah to share a table with someone who doesn't look like us and ask more questions than we give answers. We can find the nerve and the boldness to put that bottle down. Because as many times you try to have a conversation with it, it won't talk back. And then I think we can find the chutzpah to pick up the phone and make that phone call we had been avoiding because that relationship is just too hard. That family member has hurt us too much. Oh, you can find the chutzpah for that. I think we can find the chutzpah to be both honest and honoring when it comes to systems that just don't work anymore. They just don't work. I know they did. I know you loved it. I know you found life, but they just don't work anymore. It's okay. We serve a big God. He surrounds us in that. I think we can find the chutzpah it takes to trust that our kids will be fine when we let them go, however we let them go. We can trust that the God of the universe is big enough to fill those gaps that we can't control because he's just as much the God of the desert as he is of the promised land. We serve a really big God and we can have the chutzpah to trust that he will fill those gaps. We can find the chutzpah to admit that we don't have it all figured out. We really don't. We can find the courage to sit in silence with someone that just needs us to be present. And we can find the chutzpah to get out of bed when our body screams, no. Because for some of us, I'm impressed that you're here and you got out of bed. Good for you. We can have peace we can have courage. We can have the authority without needing to shout. I know I'm shouting a lot, guys. I get worked up. We can have the authority. We can have this holy chutzpah. Calvary, will this be a place that speaks chutzpah? But further, Calvary, will this be a place that lives chutzpah? Because don't speak it if you're not going to bother living it. We saw that with Simon. Don't just tell me about it. Well, you got to go and do it. Will we be a place that sends people out of the place to look in the faces and without any trace of indignation or disgrace, extend the grace that we have seen to those people? Because guess what? Church doesn't just happen in here. It actually happens mostly out there. Can we be a place that says, you don't need to show up clean, but you better believe we know the one that will walk down that difficult and beautiful path with you. Calvary, will we be a place that invites Jesus to dinner and hosts him well and then watch all of us go out and invite more and more in. Can we be a place that invites Jesus in? Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done, and Lord, I know that I shouldn't pray things that I don't mean, but I mean this so much. Would you rattle this steeple? Would you shake these walls? Would you blow open the doors if you need to, Lord, and enter this place 
We are ready. We want you here. We want to find life. Lord, I pray that this would be a place where your holy chutzpah would be on full display. We thank you for who you are. We pray these things in your son's name.